0: Welcome, welcome, uh, my name is Jake Blockham. I'm the pastor here at Access. If you're new, why don't you give us a raise of hands, I've never been to Access before, awesome, we want to welcome you. Thanks for coming, um, thank you to those, if you might have brought this person, way to go. Well, um, during worship I really um, had, an, you could say, an impression, and it was something that I heard from a different pastor, but I think it relates to... Um, all of us, and so there are two types of people in the world: extroverts. Can I hear you, extroverts? And introverts. Can I hear you, introverts? Exactly. <laughs> so during worship, you you look around, and I and I, this during worship, I was like kind of looking at people. I was like extrovert, 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 extrovert. And I looked around and I said, okay, introvert, introvert. And, you know, I was just coining these people based on how they were worshiping on the, on the outside by their physical appearance, by their hands, by their body language. And it's really easy to judge people based on their outward appearance. So we see people who are like this and we say, oh, they are, they're a worshiper. And we see someone who like this, and we say, "Dude, you got you got to figure it out, man." <laughs> you know, that's what the natural tenets of extroverts can be. Myself, if I don't, if I'm not careful about it. But the reality is, introverts come in during worship, and although they're not raising their hands, their their brains are clicking. And all the introverts are like, yeah, you got it. So the introverts are thinking about the lyrics. The introverts are thinking about what they mean. They're applying them to their lives. They're, they're digging into the lyrics and the truth that's found in them. And that is worship. Extroverts hear the words. You know, we can, we can take them at surface level and we just proclaim them. Without actually thinking deeply about them. Neither one is better than the other, but each one requires a step further than your, than what you're comfortable at. So if you're the introvert, your worship requires some physical movement, even though it's a little bit uncomfortable at first. So your brain is thinking, you're worshiping through your thoughts, you're worshiping through this dialect with God in, the, in these lyrics, but it requires for you to worship God. It takes a little movement, whether that's this, whether that's this, I don't know what that looks like, but it takes you a step further into a dimension of worship that you might not have experienced before, and if you're an extrovert, instead of just jumping around, yeah, and twirling maybe, and doing all these things, you got to take the lyrics and you have to apply them. You can't just proclaim them without actually having this dialogue in your mind with God about these lyrics and how they apply to your life and how they apply to your situations. And, and you can't go with just proclaiming. You have to let God speak to you. So not, one is not better than the other, but each needs to take a further step than what's comfortable. I'm not calling the introverts to go to the front row and jump around, and I'm not calling the extroverts to go sit down and, and just think. But I'm I'm saying it takes a step out of your comfort zone. You following? Turn to your neighbor and say, step out of your comfort zone. I didn't hear one introvert say that, so. (laughs) There you go. So I'm really excited to bring this word. To be honest with you, I really have no idea where it's going. Um, I'm really trusting God right now. Um, I have an outline, but I'm totally willing to to put that aside because that's what I felt God tell me to do. So if it's sporadic, if it doesn't make sense, if it's a piece here that doesn't connect with this piece here, just be gracious with me. I'm usually a pretty linear guy. I'm taking a step outside my comfort zone and being a little more fluid, you could say. So... If you've ever had a situation, think back to when you're young and you're talking to an older person, you're talking to maybe a parent, you're talking maybe to a grandparent, maybe an aunt or an uncle, a teacher, a coach, somebody who has influence over you, and they see the course of your life and they see the, the, the direction that you're going and they, and they interrupt and they say something like, hey, I, I see where you're going and I, and I don't think you want to go that direction. So I had this in high school all the time. All my fr- all my People who know me from high school know this. <laughs> so I, my parents would tell me something, mostly about like relationships and 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 girls and what I should do, and and they said things like, "Man, you you don't you don't need that right now. You don't. It's not your time." And I would say, "Mom, Dad, you don't even know. It's like 2000 2006 right now. <laughs> you don't even know." And so they would say, "Yeah, but." You see, the reason why we're saying this is because we went through it and we felt the pain and we want to keep you from it. But that persuasive tool didn't work with me. So, have you ever had a time in your life where an older person gave you some some advice and you just shook it off? I'm sure nobody has done that in this room. All the people are smiling. I know that's you, Eric. I'm just kidding. so what I'm trying to say here is when we read the Bible when we read these stories we don't have to always go through the the tough situations we don't always have to go through it to to choose the right direction the word of God the Bible Holy Spirit can keep you from situations we can learn from it so that's why it's important to know the word that's why it's important to dig in the word so we're going to read about Saul. We talked last week about Saul and how he was anointed king. We're going to go further into the story, and we're going to learn from his life. We're going to learn what not to do. Okay? So last week we had, we had Saul, and, and he was on this, on this journey to find these donkeys. And then the servant told him, let's go talk to Samuel, and then God spoke to Samuel, and, and he said, this boy's going to come to you, and you're going to make him king. So that's where we left off. And I love to tell stories that have happy endings, but unfortunately, this story doesn't. So Saul, he becomes king. From the get-go, he was pretty successful. His first war, he gathered 330,000 men. He went and fought against the Ammonites, and he destroyed them. And everyone loved him. Everyone believed in him. Everyone respected him. then he gathered these 3,000 men and he went to fight against the Philistines. So he goes to the Philistines and he just came off as a victory, right? So, so he's feeling pretty confident about himself. He's like, I got one victory. No one's going to stop me. So he got his men. And he went to attack the Philistines. Little did he know that the Philistines had like 35,000 men and he only had 3,000. So he was outnumbered by a long shot. Outnumbered by a long shot. He only had men. They had chariots. They had all these different weapons that he didn't have. So instead of attacking, they actually started hiding. They were hiding in caves, they were hiding in holes, they were hiding everywhere. So we're going to talk about two mistakes, two pivotal moments in Saul's life that led to the destruction of his legacy. And we're going to try to learn from them so we don't follow in the same path. Because if, if he could go back and say, and teach us or help us, he would say, listen guys, don't do this. Do this. But are you going to be a person who's going to say, yeah, Saul, you don't know what you're talking about. Are you going to be a person who says, you know what? Maybe he knows what he's talking about. Maybe the people in your life, maybe the older people in your life actually might know a thing or two. But we're young and we think we can conquer the world so we don't even listen. Because we have the internet. Because we can, we can find the answers if we just, if we just research long enough. But sometimes research cannot teach us what experience can. But the Holy Spirit can give you the experience without going through the experience Amen. through other people. So it's important that we see here. So, first mistake that Saul makes so he's, he's hiding in a hole, and Samuel gave him instructions. He said, if you will obey the Lord, you will reign as king. Your descendants will reign as king over Israel forever. But if you disobey the Lord, he will take his hand off you. How many are you are glad that that's not the way God operates now? Come on, if he said, Jake, I'll never use you if you, if you disobey me. Man, I'll tell you what, I'd be somewhere on the street right now if that were the case. New covenant. This is Old Testament. We live in New Testament, New Covenant, which means he, he washes this, so when I tell you this story it 's to teach us a lesson it 's not the truth it 's not the reality that we live in now and so he 's hiding in this hole, and Samuel says, "Before you go into war, wait for me i 'll come in seven days and we 'll sacrifice an animal, animal and this will, this will set up your army to defeat the Philistines. You will have the favor of the Lord." Once I come and I sacrifice the animal unto the Lord. So he's waiting seven days. Hiding in a hole. You know, a lot of times we look at these stories and we don't put ourselves in them. And I said that last week and I said it even the week before. But can you imagine? Sometimes we make Saul to be this terrible guy. Can you imagine waiting in a hole with the Philistines surrounding you? And you're in war and you're fearing your life and you're waiting for this man to show up. And it's the 7th day and Saul finally says, "You know what? He said he was going to come on this day." And then Samuel didn't show up. Saul still realized, he said, "Okay, I still need the favor of the Lord. So maybe I'll just make the sacrifice for Samuel. I'll make the sacrifice unto the Lord and then I'll and then we'll go to battle and we'll have the favor of the Lord." So this is the fu- I mean, this is pretty comical because it relates to our lives today. So he sacrifices The animal, and it says in the Bible, it says 1 Samuel 13, it says, As soon as the sacrifice was complete, Samuel showed up. Man, come on. How many times you've been waiting for someone for like 45 minutes, and then you're like, I ain't waiting anymore. I'm going to call him. Hey, man, you're late. He says, yeah, I know I'm here. (laughs) Let me say it again. I don't know if you guys caught that. So the other day I was at the movie theater and it was packed out. So I bought a ticket for my friend and I was waiting for him and waiting for him. The movie was like in five minutes. And so I was waiting for like a half an hour and I never called him. I said, he's going to show up. He's going to show up. He's going to show up. But it was longer and longer and longer. I said, I'm just going to call him. Hey man, are are you almost here? Yeah, I see you. Yeah, I see you. Isn't that, it's so coincidental that every time it seems like I do that, it happens. Today I was watching a a video on YouTube, and it was like a, I didn't even know how long it was, so I was watching it, and then I wondered, I said, when is this movie, when is this going to be over? And I put my little cursor on, on the YouTube video, and then it was over. I was like, what the world is going on right now? This is like so weird, and that's what happened to Saul. He was finishing the sacrifice. Samuel's like, what are you, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? 1 Samuel 13, 11 through 12. Samuel said, what have you done, asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, <laughs> I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled. I think today's terms, I felt the Lord calling me to offer the burnt offering. Hmm. That's the terms that I would put it in today. So I felt compelled. I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. So you can say, oh, okay, how do, I, how do I relate that to my life today? How do I relate to that, my, that to my life? You know, we're at a young adult age. Some of you may be married. Some of you may be dating in dating relationships. Some of you may be thinking, I've been waiting seven days in war. Lord, when are you going to show up and bring... My significant other to me. We're laughing, but that's that's how some people that's how we feel. Like, Lord, when are you gonna bring the offering or this this someone to me? When are you gonna bring them to me? I've been waiting sometimes seven years, eight years, twelve years, Lord. When are you gonna bring them to me? So Samuel says to Saul your descent your descendants will no longer reign over Israel because of your disobedience. But you say, "Man, that's kind of harsh." And we and we think, "Yeah, but you disobeyed you disobeyed Saul. Come on." Was it re- was it really disobedience or was it just partial obedience? Samuel said you gotta make a sacrifice. He said, okay, if we need a sacrifice, then maybe if Samuel's not here, then then if then if I make the sacrifice, then maybe it'll it'll be okay. Partial obedience is is disobedience. Yeah. You know, Pastor Kurt always said delayed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. So this is the first thing that, that really set Saul up for the fall of his legacy. And you say, man, this small little thing, that's, that, that little thing set him up for, for his fall? We're going to look into it a little bit deeper in a minute. I want to focus on something that he, that he said. He said, I saw the men scattering. I saw the men scattering, I saw the Philistines coming together, and I anticipated that they were going to come attack me and kill me. He looked at his situation instead of looking at his promise. Samuel said, if you'll obey me, you will reign, and your descendants will reign over Israel forever. But if you disobey, then the Lord's hand will come off of you. So he looked at his situation, and it spoke louder than the promise. Here's the deal. Our promises, the promises of God are all found in the Bible. All his promises are yes and amen. But the problem with us, the problem with me, is that I don't know his promises well enough. And when I have a chance to walk through his promises, I let the situation speak louder than the word. We need to know these promises. We need to speak the promises. We need to be the promises. So when we have situations in our lives, we have problems in our lives. Do you know that they're not problems? Do you know that you don't have problems? You only have opportunities for God to come through on his promises. All his promises are yes and amen, but the problem is, is that we don't experience that, so we must think that maybe his promises will be yes, maybe in heaven. Maybe his promises will be yes later on in my life, but he says, no, his promises are now. But are you letting your situation, speak louder than the promise. And here's the deal. You'll never walk in the promise unless you know the promise. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But too, too many times I, I hear about people who say, God, where are you? Where are you, God? He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So when you feel lonely, when you feel he's not there, instead of letting your situation and your feelings dominate your life, you have to let the word. So instead of saying, God, where are you? You say, God, I thank you that you said you never leave me nor forsake me. You said you were gonna make my body your home. And even when I don't feel it, I'll declare it. And I'll declare it until I talk myself into it. I'll declare it until my words become my reality, until your words become my reality. Problems or opportunities for God to come through on His promise. You need to know the promises. But you know, like, and this is something that I, that I get convicted of all the time. It says, and, and I can't remember the verse, I didn't even put it up there. It says, it says if you lay your hands on the sick, they will recover. James 5 apparently. She's much more spiritual than I am. Says <laughs> if you lay your hands on the sick they will recover. That's a that's a pretty bold statement. But how many times have you laid if I laid my hands on someone and prayed for them and they didn't get healed and the change didn't happen. So then we make up these we make up these thoughts and ideas that if it's not happening then it must not be true. Instead of letting the promise speak louder than our situation. The truth is, the promise is a promise. God doesn't renege. God doesn't go back on his word. He's waiting for people to believe his word and so he can come through and accomplish his promises. But Saul didn't wait. He let his situation speak louder. He let the fear dominate. So the second failure of Saul... So amazingly enough, God is so gracious. He actually still is with the Israelites and they defeat the Philistines. God actually causes the Philistines to attack each other and kill each other while the Israelites watch. (laughs) Even in Saul's disobedience. So a second failure. So Samuel comes to to Saul and says, I have a word from the Lord. Goes, thus saith the Lord, if you read it in the New King James. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and says, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> this is fun to say. So he comes, he comes to Saul and says, thus saith the Lord. You are to go and destroy, utterly destroy the Amalekites. Utterly destroy the Amalekites. The Amalekites were some pretty bad people. They they basically murdered the Israelites and they were very oppressive to the, towards the Israelites while they were in captivity in Egypt. And so God told them, go utterly destroy everyone and in, in all of the Amalekites. I don't even know what the nation was called. Anyways, sorry. So go utterly destroy them. So he goes. And they go and they bring their men and they attack and they destroy everything. They destroy everything but 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 the good things. They destroy everything but the valuable things. They destroy everything but the things that cost a lot of money. And their and their reasoning was, why would we destroy this when we could use it? To glorify God. Yeah, I'm sure that's what they were thinking. Golly. So 1 Samuel 15, 13. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. This is what Saul said to Samuel. The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. So he disobeyed God, but then he comes to Samuel, the one who gave him the instructions, the one who told him to utterly destroy everything. And he says... I have obeyed the Lord's instructions. When you live in disobedience, your memory gets a little foggy. Did God really say that? Did Samuel really say destroy everything? Adam and Eve, the Satan comes, did God really say you couldn't eat of that tree? Did God really say that? The devil's tactic is to make you question the goodness of God. His tactic is to make you question, does God really love you? Does God really have plans for you? Is God really with you? He doesn't make statements. He makes you question how good he is. The same thing that happens with Saul here. I obeyed your instructions. What? No, he said, utterly destroy everything. So we keep reading. 1 Samuel 15, 15. Then Samuel said, no, 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 no. We told you to destroy everything. What are you doing? You're disobeying again. What's going on here? What are you doing? And then Saul answered, the soldiers... I obeyed your instructions and he reprimands them and then he says, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. To the Lord your God. To the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. (laughs) But we we totally destroyed the rest. (laughs) Partial Obedience. Did God really say I couldn't, I couldn't have sex before marriage? Did God, did God really say that? Hmm. It got quiet. <laughs> did God. Did God really say it was, it was a sin to get drunk? Take the commandments of God and we question them. When we live this life, our, our vision gets blurred. Our moral compass is just like, it's not pointing north. It's not pointing towards him. It's, it's, we just don't know where we're at and we can justify almost anything we do. We can do that. We cannot question the goodness of God. We cannot question him. because it Let it led Adam and Eve eating the fruit just by questioning the goodness of God. Did God really say that? What if God's holding out on you Samuel 15 17 through 21 but I'm just going to pick up on 19 why did you not obey the Lord why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord Saul but I did obey the Lord Saul said but I did obey you he was very confused I went on the mission the Lord assigned me I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king The soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to obey your God at Gilgal. Verse 22, but Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. You know, I love worship. I love worship. I love when we get to come here and raise our hands. But I'm going to tell you the truth. God is much more concerned with what you do Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday than, we, than what you do during worship. He's much more concerned with your obedience than he is your, than he is your worship. Because the reality is, is that it, it says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So, so this is an aspect of worship the music, but our lives are worship. It's Nick's, Nick's message a month ago. it's our song. Our lives are our offerings of sacrifice to God. that our obedience is worship to him. Our obedience is pleasing in his eyes. more so than anything you could do up here. more than it, more than anything. It's good. I'm not trying to to come down on you. I'm just trying to speak some truth that that can be easily twisted. Because we get this wisdom from the world that is destroying us. Sometimes we need to be brought back to reality. We need to be snapped back to reality. Oops, there goes gravity. There you go. First Samuel 15, 24 through 26. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave into them. I was afraid of the men, so I gave into them. I was afraid of the men, so I gave into them. I was afraid of what the men were going to think of me if I told them that they couldn't have all the stuff. I was afraid of them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. He says, no. Last week was a happy, it was happy. It was like, yeah, destiny, yeah, I have a purpose, yeah, yeah, yeah. This this week is more like, man, what if it's not just about the destination? Because if you don't have your roots going down deep into the word of God, into truth, then once you rise to the top, you'll fall. You'll fall. Nick and I were talking about this and he brought up something that was just so profound. He said, didn't you find it interesting that Saul never heard from God himself? He was always feeding off other people. And I read it. Remember, I said, the Lord's your God. The Lord's your God. The Lord's your God. He never said, the Lord, my God. It was never real to him. He wasn't, my, he wasn't my God. The Lord, my God. The Lord, my God. That's When you start saying that, that's the things that start getting your roots. So when you reach your destination, when you reach your dream job, when you reach your purpose, You're not going to tumble and fall and crash as the world watches you and you say, why God, why God, where are you? He's saying, I'm always, I'm right there with you. So these two mistakes, these two instances that led to the fall of Saul. Mistake one, he saw his men scattering, so he expedited the sacrificial process. He let his eyes speak louder than his promise. Partial obedience. Mistake two, he wanted to please men, his men, so he allowed them to keep the goods. Partial obedience. You see, what we like to do is we like to deal with issues, right? We like to deal with surface level things. I have an issue, so I'll deal with it up here without actually getting down to the, to the root of the issue. But it's like weeds. You can, you can pull the weeds and guess what? In like two days, like they're right there. I used to have a job where I used to like pull weeds and, and Bobby's a landscaper, he pulls weeds all the time. And I promise he's gonna say, I hate weeds, man. I hate weeds. Because you, you pull them up and the next thing you know, they're just like right there again. <laughs> Same things with our issues. If we don't deal with the surface level, they'll always return. Maybe in a different form, but they'll always come back. So We need to get to the root of the issue. So what was the root of Saul's issue? The root of Saul's issue was that he loved his position more than he loved God. He feared the people more than he feared God. He cared more about what the people thought about him than what God thought about him. And the last thing, he forgot where he came from. He forgot where he came from. He loved his own life more than than he loved God. He loved where he was more than more than he loved how he got there. How did you get here? How did you get where you are right now? Have you looked back and thought, man, how did, I, how did I get here? We talked about it last week, moments. We have these moments in our lives that define our future. We have these moments that can change everything around in an instant. And I said, your moment's coming. Or you might have already had your moment. And you think back and you say, man, yeah, that's a good moment. Man, that changed my life forever. That time I I went and prayed for someone and they got healed, man, that was like my moment. The time that I received Christ, that was my moment. That time that I I helped someone and I was just like, wow, this is what it's all about. We have these moments in our lives. But what the devil tries to do, the devil tries to make, he tries to put these goggles on you. that make it so you can't see anything past what's right in front of you. He put these goggles on you that you can't see, and you won't think about the things that God has done in the past. The only thing you can think about is what's right in front of you. What's right, it happens to me too. We have these issues, and we're, they're staring us in the face, and we totally ignore everything that God's done in the past. So, what happened with Saul, man? He forgot where he came from. Saul was, he loved his position. And because he loved his position, he feared losing it. So he would do anything he could to keep his position. He was a people pleaser. He was a people pleaser. The men, you want the you want that? Oh sure, yeah, go ahead. Samuel. I want to please Samuel because if Samuel doesn't like me, then he might reject me as king. So I'm going to, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm going to go worship your God. I'm going to go worship your God. The people, hey, we want this stuff. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Have that stuff. Samuel, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The people over here. Yeah, yeah, yes, you should do that over there. Because I don't want the people to reject me, and I don't want Samuel to reject me because I don't want to lose my position, so I'm going to try to make everyone happy. And I have to admit something. This is where, this is where I struggle. I'm a people pleaser. And what happens is, you start to justify the things you do, and you claim that they're good, when in reality, they are destroying the people around you and they're destroying yourself. I love people. I love helping people. I love being there for people. But if I do that, do that at the cost of of loving my wife, then what have I done? But I, but I justify and it, and I say, well, I'm helping them. I'm helping them. But God's like, man, but what about your bride? Because I want to please people, and I want to please my wife. Here's the deal. I, I'm limited. I'm limited. And if we want to please people, we'll, we'll crash, and we're going to fall. We're going to become discouraged. You can't please people. That's what Saul did. It's what led him to his destruction. He feared that he would lose his position. He feared it, and I want to talk to you about some things about fear. Fear is logical. <laughs> it makes sense to to be afraid. It makes sense that Saul would say, "Okay, I need to sacrifice. So I better I better sacrifice." It made sense. It wasn't like this like outlandish idea. It made sense. It made sense to keep the goods. Why would I waste all that money? It's like so much. Why would I waste all that? It made it made sense. But here's the deal. God's looking for obedience. He's not looking for logic. And here's the deal about, okay, so perfect love casts out all fear. So love, fear, opposites, right? So love, if fear is logical, love is illogical. It doesn't make sense for God to send his only son to die for us, does it? It doesn't make sense for when someone slaps you across the one cheek, you turn the other cheek. It doesn't make sense for when you go one mile to go two miles. It doesn't make sense. But that's the kingdom of God. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense to give money when you don't have any. It doesn't make sense to sow when you're lacking. It doesn't make sense. Here. Sometimes God doesn't make sense to us. He did. But guess what? Because his ways are higher than our ways. God is so logical, it seems illogical to us. We see his logic is our logical. He's so good. We say we don't deserve that. He says, I'm going to give it all to you. He says, I don't, deserve, I don't deserve your spirit, God. He says, I'm going to give it to you anyways. I don't deserve your love, God. I'm going to give it to you anyways. I don't deserve that. I'm going to give it all to you. It's illogical. Love, fear, illogical. And I said it before, but fear blurs your vision. You start, you start to, is that really wrong? You start justifying the things because you don't want to lose the thing that you're that you love. Because I'll tell you what, what fear really is. All fear is, is perverted love. Because what happens is, like Saul, you love something so much, he loved his position so much, that he feared losing it. Do You love your job so much, that you fear losing it, that you would do anything to not lose it? Do you love financial security so much that you'll do anything to not be in lack financially? Do anything? Do you love being in a relationship? Do you love being significant and and feel loved so much that you fear being rejected? So all it is, I mean, fear is fear, but it's really just perverted love. It's you love the wrong thing. So it's not getting rid of fear, it's just loving the right thing. All you are is loving the wrong thing. So we don't have to actually deal with the fear, we have to deal with your love. That's a lot easier to do. I think we say, yeah, we have all these fears, we have all these fears. No, you just have all the wrong loves. You're loving the wrong things. You really don't know what love is then, because perfect love casts out all fear. Man. 1 Timothy 1 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So, you know that spirit of fear that you have? You know that fear? It's not wrong to have fear. It's not wrong to feel anxiety. It's not wrong to feel worry. But what he's saying here is, you know that fear that you have? That's not for me. The only spirit that I've given you, the only feeling that I've given you is the spirit of power and the spirit of love and the spirit of a sound mind. So instead of getting rid of fear, we need to start claiming that we have the other three things. So when we feel worry, not wrong to feel worry, I feel it quite a bit. It's not wrong to feel fear or anxiety, not wrong. But when you, it's how you deal with those feelings That could be wrong. So if you let them dominate you, then then it's going to lead to depression, more anxiety, feelings of lack. But so instead of meditating on those things, we just say, God, I thank you that you have given me power. I thank you that you've given me love. And I thank you that you've given me a sound mind. Start declaring it and you just might become it. So, um, 1 John 4.18, I'm just going to read it for, for you, I just said it, but there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment, the one who fears is not made perfect in love, you're just, rubbing, you're just loving the wrong things, it's okay, it's just the wisdom of the world, Psalm 34.4, I sought the Lord and he answered me, he delivered me from all of my fears, so how do we get rid of our fears? seek the Lord because God is love so if we seek the Lord we seek love if we seek love we get rid of perverted love so I was thinking how how do I want to end this how do I want to how do I want to end this What what you know in the beginning what would Saul say to us if he could be here right now He would say, man, I got it all wrong. What's the one thing that that he might say to us? And this is what I think he would say. Excuse me. He would say, take a look. I I skipped a couple points. (laughs) I'm running low on time. He would say, take a look. Not just take a look, but take a look back. Let's let's take a look back in Saul's shoes. Let's Let's step into it and see what he said. Okay, if Saul would have taken a look back, he said, I was looking for donkeys and I became king. God made me king. And there's another part of the story I didn't say, but he went out and the spirit of God fell upon him and he started prophesying with the prophets. And then he went up against the Ammonites and he destroyed them because it says again, the spirit of the Lord Came upon him. And even when he disobeyed, God still gave him victory. I really think that he, if he would have taken a step back away from this loud situation in front of him, and he would have looked back to the times that God had shown up, he would have had a different outcome. We just read the historical count. Hindsight's 2020. 20. Take a look back. So you have situations you might be in a war in your own life. You might be in a battle. You might be scared. You might be anxious. You might be worried. But are you going to allow that situation to speak louder than the promises of God? Are you, allow, are you going to allow that to speak louder than your history with God? Right. Because we all have a history with God. And one thing that can strengthen us, one thing that can increase our faith, one thing that can increase our ability to believe that God is for us is by looking back into our lives and say, wow, I remember when God did this. I remember when God did that. I remember when God did that. I remember, oh man, he's going to do it again. And we can start actually talking ourselves into obedience by re-examining our history with God. So I have this, so I have this journal and, and this was the time that I was, you know, I said in my testimony where I, was, I gave my life to the Lord and I was just, I was just going after it, man. And, and one of my, my mentor, Darren, he's, he, um, he said, Jake, you need to start writing these things down because there's gonna come a day where you're gonna be discouraged. There's gonna come a day where you just might doubt. There's going to come a day where you're not feeling as good as you are right now. There's going to come a day when there's going to be a problem that's going to be screaming in your face and you need to have something to go back to. Right. So I started writing down and I was reading it today for the first time in a while and it was so cool. I was like, oh man, like, let's go. I was like, come on. I'm just going to read some of them to you just to see like how good God is and how it just strengthens my faith. It says, it says, I prayed for Christian. I don't know who Christian is even anymore. I don't remember this guy. This was like five years ago, four years ago. Christian, not this Christian. Christian's knee was healed after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, man. Prayed for Anthony's stomach, and he was healed instantly. So my friend, Anthony, gave me a word. It was the name Beth. I only know one Beth. It was my aunt. So he said, you need to call your aunt. So I called my aunt. I said, hey, Aunt Beth. She lives in Florida. I never talked to her. I said, hey, Aunt Beth, it's, it's Jake. And she said, what's going on? I said, well, it's just totally weird, but I just really felt the Lord, or I had a friend who told me to call you because he felt the Lord telling him. And she's like, okay. I said, is there anything going on? He said, yeah. She said, yeah, my grandma lived with, lives with my aunt. And, and she said, well, last night, Your grandma fell, and she's 90 years old, and she was just laying there. And then grandma said that someone came in the room and picked her up and put her on her bed the same night that he told me that. My grandma, I was like, oh, my gosh. Why did God, why did you want me to? You want to strengthen my faith so I can look back and say, wow, God, when I get a word, when I get something that I feel something, I'm going to go for it. So I had a roommate in college, and says, I'm not going to name his name, he said, had an encounter with God at 3 a.m. in our room. He pulled his ab muscles, and after it was all done, all pain left him. Man, this is, right now, I mean, reading this, I'm like, God, you're so good. And then maybe it won't be, maybe it's not healings, maybe it's not these miraculous things, maybe it's just the small things that are strengthening your faith. But take a look back. Maybe you're in a situation where you need to take a look back. You need to take a step back and get that situation in perspective. And start cashing in on the promises of God. Because what happens is the devil, we talked about moments, he wants to steal your moments and make you believe that they weren't real. Right. He wants you them to be a faint memory so you can never use them to strengthen your faith. So what we need to do is we need to write them down and we need to log them and not lose them. So when we feel that discouragement, when we feel that, that time that we're just not at our peak, we can look back and say, oh, it's okay. Yeah, that's who my God is. Yeah. That's who my God is. And we can, like, like Saul, right? Saul was dependent on other people. Sometimes you don't have other people. Sometimes people aren't going to encourage you. Sometimes you've got to encourage yourself. Encourage yourself by writing this stuff down. It's a small thing. Start with small things, and then the big things come, write them down, and you can go back and visit them. And I still just do this now. I have um, a Google Doc, so I don't lose it. When anything cool happens, I just type it in. That's so cool. Even if it's just small things. So what are the things, what are the, what are the moments, what are the moments that you have that you that the devil's trying to steal from you? What are the moments that you have that you need to write down? Take a step back, look at them, and encourage yourself. We're going to give you a time to do that right now. If I could have um, someone come up to play the piano, do rock paper scissors, and Chris is like, "I guess I'll do it," or whatever. So what I want to do is I want—I just want to give you an opportunity. We're not going to take long. He's just going to pay the keys, and I want to give you an opportunity before you forget everything that I just said. To take a look back. Because I believe if Saul would have done it, he would have been able to encourage himself. He would have remembered where he came from. Take a look. So he's going to play the keys. And if you've got a pen and a paper, write them down. If you've got a smartphone, type them in. If you've got a phone with notes, whatever, just write them down. And store them. Take a look back so you can encourage yourself. And so that we can learn from other people's mistakes. Let's learn from Saul here. Let's take a look back. And I'm, gonna, I'm even going to do this with you. I'm going to be up here. I'm going to be writing. And I'm going to see, God, is there anything that I need to write down right now? Just take, and, I, and if you, you might say, you know, God, I don't have anything to look back to. Maybe you've never looked. I believe everyone has something they can look back to and say, wow, God really showed up for me then. God really came through then on His promises. So we're gonna take just like oh, it's two minutes. That's it, two minutes. And I see people doing it already. You can start. It's not working. It's okay. Do you guys want me to sing? <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> it's okay. We can just do it in. We can just do it in silence. It's okay. really feel um, some people might be saying man I I don't have a moment to look back to I don't have I don't have a God moment I don't have it I'm, I'm, I'm asking him I just don't I can't think of any today's your day maybe you say I don't even know God I don't believe in God but there's something inside of you that's just stirring up and saying you know what